Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome back. I am here today with Rochelle Basil. Rochelle, thanks so much for joining in. Thank you for having me. This has been a a welcome treat I've been looking forward to during isolation. <laughs> totally. And likewise, I use these podcasts as a way to have a fun, uh, fun conversation with friends. So um, thanks for thanks for humoring me on that. Um, so first question before we dive into it, uh, who is Rochelle? Oh, my goodness. Um, that is the Rochelle's uh, 2020 is very different to Rochelle 2019. Um, so I guess today I am a mover, um, not physically moving like boxes and things, but moving, moving bodies or uh, trying to move my body in space. Um, I am a coach, wife, and what else? I guess that's kind of the the trifecta. That's a good. That's a good starting point. And uh, for those with an with an ear on. Um, on your voice, uh, where are you? Where are you from? Uh, I am from New Zealand originally, so I apologize if anyone has any difficulty with with the <laughs> accent. Most of it, most of it has sort of dropped off, but every now and again, something will catch me, or I'll say a weird word, and people are like, "Huh." Um, it's funny, like only a few of the words come out with an accent. It's uh, it's like um, I live with a, with a couple of guys with very thick Boston accents in college and I don't have one, but only with a few words, uh, mm -hmm. does it come out? So it's, or if you've uh, had too much, too many glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Too many bears. Um, well, awesome. <laughs> so, so the podcast here is exploring the why, um, understanding what keeps runners running long, strong and motivated. And so I think it's fascinating to, chat with athletes that have been successful or are successful or are doing interesting things in the sport. Um, and you sort of check all those boxes. Um, and you've had an interesting journey over the last couple of years. So, uh, for those that, that don't know, do you want to sort of give a, a quick, quick, uh, summary of, of the last couple of years of running for you? Yeah. So it's been, um, super exciting and I mean, continues to, as life does take interesting pivots when we do and don't expect. Uh, so actually we, you and I connected fairly early back in my return to running, which was, uh, I would say, oh shit. Um, like mid 2016. So I started running after a five-year break post-collegiately and I wanted to break four hours in the marathon because that seems like 
a good round number. And having had, you know, sort of prior collegiate experience, you know, I ran for a week and it was terrible, but eventually I started, you know, getting back into my groove. And admittedly, I sort of came into that groove a little quicker than, you know, most people would if they just picked up running. But, you know, I did have the sort of higher baseline level that I was eventually coming back to. So I ran, um, you know, just sort of, I don't even think I was wearing a watch or anything the end of 2016. And then it spiraled out of, out of control in a good way. I guess snowballed is probably a better word. It was, Oh, I want to break four. Oh, there's a marathon in Boston. Oh shit. You have to qualify for that. What's the time for that? Three thirty. Oh, I bet I could break three, um, three, two forty-five. Oh, maybe we'll go to the Olympics. Um, <laughs> you know, it's this, it's the, I was, I mean, I'm still wired as a very all or nothing human, um, but I'm definitely, I've definitely come in this last year much more (laughs) towards midline. Um, And what was the question? Uh, That's a good summary of your last couple of years. So it's it's fascinating. So I had um, somebody on the podcast recently, I think episode 66 or 67, uh, Teal Burel, who went from a 407 marathon to a 239. Um, You your first was your goal was four and you beat that handedly. Um, so what, what was that first finish line? Like, Oh, it was, it was so bizarre. Um, and just kind of weird too, because we actually went into that first marathon. So I was coming off of a a stress fracture because initially when I started running, I thought that I could coach myself because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was young and dumb and thought I could do what I did in college. So I was doing my, you know, my 10 minute mile jogs. And then I started running in the eights and then I thought, okay, like we must be ready for some workouts. So I did what all people do when they're in charge of themselves and fail to look at the big picture or actually take in the data and ramped up too quickly, um, got injured. And then I started working with a coach and there was a fairly quick turnaround to when I wanted to sort of return to run and, you know, try run a marathon. And, you know, I was sort of, I guess, allowed to run the marathon if I was going to run it as a workout, which was perfectly fine. So I think the workout was something like three by five minutes. So it, uh, three by five minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's all I ran for. Uh, three by five. 26, 26 by mile at goal, goal marathon pace. That is my, I think that is my favorite tweet I've ever seen. I think the BAA put that out a couple of years ago. It's like today's workout is 26 times, you know, 26 times yeah. a mile. Um, so the first marathon was, and I, so thankful for my first marathon experience, not being quote unquote, a marathon. You know, I never, I mean, I was nervous about covering 26 miles because I think the longest I'd done going in was 16 or 17 miles. But I remember getting to mile 17 and, you know, each time I passed someone or I looked out at my watch, I'm like, holy shit, this is the furthest I've ever run. This is a new PR. This is a new PR. And then it was, it was indie. So the back end of the indie course is kind of apocalyptic, which is fitting for this time in our life. Um, you know, people were just 
bending over and walking and stopping. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm next. But I started feeling better and better. And then I got to mile 20 and they sort of say your your name and what you're on pace for. And I think that was the first time I realized that I, you know, I could have, I don't even know what I had to, you know, I could have run eight and a half minute miles for the remaining 10K and still broken three. So that last 10K or last six and a bit miles, I was just so excited um, because I had been kind of unexpected. I hadn't really gone in or we didn't really have a huge goal plan. It was just, just execute this plan and good things will happen. And that's sort of very similar to, you know, how I am with my athletes. It's let's not get hung up on the specifics. Um, you know, we, we need to be data driven, obviously, but in terms of GPS, I mean, who are you to let a piece of technology tell you what you can or can't do? Um, you know, or how you feel on a given day. There are so many other variables that these smart watches and devices are not not that smart at picking up on. <laughs> um, I love that. So you mentioned that you're a coach as well. How did that how did that happen? So I I think and a lot of us sort of came into coaching in this way too when I started um running again and you know I was in graduate school and joined a couple of local running groups. And I was working on my PhD in cognitive neuroscience at the time, but I was becoming more and more interested in the exercise physiology and kinesiology realm. So I was starting to read and delve into that in my free time, which is, you know, how cool and exciting I am. And (laughs) um, still, you know, still my free time is reading books on running, which I think that means I'm in the right place. And so people started uh, picking my brain on, on a few things, you know, and ideas and what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And then I started sort of, you know, coaching, like, you know, very unofficially, you know, not for anything, um, just to sort of help some friends out. And then, then I met Mary and must have, almost three years ago, we started LRP and it's just been the most amazing, again, you know, as life, you know, sort of pivots and turns, we had no idea of the sort of community we would create and just sort of, you know, how our athletes really have become like our family and friends. And, oh, I was just thinking about it. It's just so, it's so fun. So this yeah. is Mary Johnson of Lift, Lift Run Perform, uh, a mutual friend of ours. I, I met Mary, I don't know, back in 2014 or 2015. And we've shared, uh, I think the only times we've run together, we've, we've run longer than 20 miles. Or uh, actually, we did a half marathon together, which uh, still remains my PR from 2016. So Mary oh. and I have talked talked at length about uh taking that pr down and taking our marathon prs down to um uh much lower than where they are um i'll leave it at that um and oh my goodness yeah sorry thinking of marathon prs i was listening to your podcast with david roach um it must have been a week or so ago because i just I love a lot of the things he has to say. And he had published something recently that I was like, oh, I need to read. I need to listen to this again. And I sent it to one of my athletes and she texts me back like with all the dying laughing emojis. And she said her goal <laughs> in life is to have your quote unquote 
same stoke level at the finish line <laughs> so that she just like cusses someone in the face that she's so excited. And I was like, Oh my God, I have to tell John Liz. He's going to kick out of it. Um, yeah, that was the best. That was the best. So um, that was at the, the Providence marathon last spring. And um, I turned the last corner <laughs> and I saw two fifty two fifty nine low on the clock. It was like two fifty nine twenty or something. And I just started like screaming and there, there are photos of it. And it, those are my favorite photos. Uh, I, oh. I just like to scream at the end of races. I don't know what, what's, what the deal is, but um, so I crossed the finish line and I'm just like shouting like, fuck. Yeah. Like very loud. And I, <laughs> and then I realized I'm screaming in this <laughs> poor woman's face <laughs> and she's trying to hand me a medal and I, I realized what I had done and I was like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. She's like, no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, that was, that was great. And so I, I talk a lot about the Stoke level as you talk about like data and metrics. Um, I feel that that's like the best subjective measure possible. <laughs> Stoke that, level. <laughs> yeah. The Stoke level that like, if you're fired up to, to do the work and like get out and run, um, there's no better barometer for like, can you do the work or should you be doing the work? A hundred percent. And that's sort of like intrinsic internal motivation or drive is not something that any coach or any, or anyone can like, I can't be like, Hey, Jonathan, you should run this race. Like if you don't care for that race, if it's not exciting to you, we could have the best plan on the world. You could get the best weather day, but if you're not driven to something or a goal within yourself, and it doesn't even have to be like a time, right? It could be running like this really hilly run or something that's going to bring you so much joy. Like that is the biggest motivating factor. Um, so how do you help athletes find that? <laughs> by slamming my head into a wall a lot um, and, re- <laughs> and, and repeating that. Um, I don't know. And I mean, it's been, I mean, obviously there are a lot of really, this current COVID situation is not nice, but from a coaching perspective and from a humanity standpoint and just seeing my sort of athletes come into their own and sort of self-realize why they run has been like a really beautiful, a really beautiful time and process. Even though it's been a month, I feel like everyone has developed, you know, what typically takes one to two years or training cycles with athletes. And that is sort of becoming more process oriented not just worrying about, well, I have to break three. It's like, well, no, we have to yeah. like, who fucking train cares? <laughs> like, we have to train, we have to train smart and we have to trust the process and we have to, you know, be kind to ourselves. And then, you know what, you're going to go out and you're going to crush three. Like, don't even think about breaking three. And now that all these arbitrary race days and times have been taken off the calendar, I mean, people are just crushing it and they're feeling they're feeling great. And they're just so thankful for, and here it is again, the joy, right? The joy that is running and that bliss of just getting out and being free in a very unstable and uncontrollable environment. Oh, Sari, go away. Um, So, so I, I, I love that. And I say, who cares? Not, not negatively, but um, I say, who cares? Because yeah, there are no races to to validate right now, and 100%. Um, I'm I'm 
intentionally saying validate because we don't need these races to validate us to be runners. We don't need the race to like, I stood on that start line in Providence, not caring if it was a two or three or a four at the start of my marathon. Um, and I've now run all of those. And I think that that's the place that we need to be at in order to achieve that success. When you're, when you disassociate and maybe you're, you're, um, your educational background could, you know, elaborate on this a bit more than I could. But when you disassociate from the outcome, you can perform better. A hundred percent. Because I mean, you're freeing up cognitive, cognitive space, right? And so your legs are going to feel however your brain is telling them. Like if you're running thinking, oh shit, I feel terrible. Yeah, you're going to feel terrible. If you're telling yourself, oh, I feel great. I mean, obviously it doesn't work all the time. But how many workouts have you started when you're running your warm up and you think, oh man, I should probably just bag this. Like I'm not, this is not going to be my day. I'm not going to run well. And then for a second you forget and you start the workout and you get done an hour later, you're like, oh my goodness, I just crushed that. I can't believe I was going to hop back in the car and go home or races, you know, especially the marathon too. I mean, the races really to me a test of who can get out of a bad space the quickest because yeah. it's very rare that you're going to run 26 miles or 26.2 miles and feel like you're not a fucking unicorn feel good right? the whole time. You're, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Frankfurt <laughs> and if you feel- yeah, you're going to get maybe one of those days in your life where it's just sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, but the rest of it is life. Right. And this is why we train. And this is why, you know, I mean, this is why I meditate and practice yoga and do all these things in it. And well, when I was training, right, training prepares you for those experiences on race day. So if you have only perfect runs or things only go right, when you get to race day and you start feeling bad, you don't know how to respond, right? You don't have that neuro control of how to have that conversation with yourself. Like, this is fine. Remember three weeks ago in your last 20 mile long run when you started running like 30 seconds slower than marathon pace, but you got yourself back. Like you have that data to come back to and think, oh shit, like I've been there before. Let's go back there. And before you know it, you've, you know, you've sort of inversed that potentially (laughs) not so good situation. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of people, that's the exciting part, like figuring out what happens when when things go south. Um, so last fall, I ran rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. And pri- prior to that, my longest time on feet was seven hours. And that was over a 50K. And the Grand Canyon is just short of 45 miles. And um, my longest run leading up to that was a marathon. So I get to the North Rim. uh, So I ran the 50K in 7.07. And I get to the North Rim in 7.20. (laughs) So so halfway through, I've I've now gone longer (laughs) than my my longest run. Your time on on feet ever. Yeah. so, So then I was like, all right, what's, what's next? Like, this is when my feet fall off. (laughs) This is when, is this when my feet fall off? Yeah. No, it was like, it was like, I I got to the point of the known and 
it was mostly fine with the exception of the first six miles downhill in the dark. Um, and looking back at where I had come, I was like, everything from here on out is totally new and things are going to get bad and go wrong. And they did, but they didn't for a while. And, but what was and, your stoke level at that moment? Like 4,000. Yeah, um, exactly. So, and that's why we do this. Cause we're all crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, so stoke level in that moment. So Anna Mae Flynn was there with us and she was, she's a professional trail runner. She's been on this podcast. Uh, she was on back in uh, June, 2019. And um, she was doing a, uh, an, a, a fast North South attempt. And so as, as she was going uh, North to South and, and, you know, dropping in on the north side, we were coming out of the north side. And so she loves that stoke, stoke meter, <laughs> oh like the stoke is high. And so I just looked at her and I just start screaming. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, and so the whole, the whole joke of this trip was um, we, we would say, let's fucking go all the time. And our car's license plate was LFG with three Stop. numbers after it. So, oh my so I was like, this is perfect. So, um, I just, we just started screaming that at each other, you know, at, at one o'clock in the afternoon on, uh, at the North side of the Grand Canyon when everyone's trying to have, you know, a, a casual afternoon. But, um, so, so we get back in and I'm, I'm running at the 50 K mark, you know, low sevens. And I'm like, I, this is, this is now the longest I've ever run, um, again. And I had happy legs. And, and we just like, we just let it rip while, while things were good. And 10 miles later was the absolute worst I've ever felt. <laughs> Stoke level well, rapidly declined. This, so I took a video at, um, at the 50 K and sent it to David. I was like, this is fucking amazing. Um, and then 10 miles later, it was like mile 41, 42, or it was like 40. And we, we were in the middle of a six and a half mile climb covering 5,000 feet. And with like four miles to go, it's still like three hours of walking <laughs> uphill, <laughs> like three hours of walking uphill after you've been doing that for an hour. Um, and so it's just fascinating because you don't have another option at that point. Like you can't get out any other way. So when your back is up against the wall, I think that's when when you learn a lot about yourself. And I don't even remember the question at this point, but. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. and it's, I mean, this is a podcast, right? We have, there is no, there is no script, but it's, I don't remember the question either. So full disclosure, but running for so many of us is sort of our therapy and our outlet, right? So it keeps us sane, but it's also the thing that makes us the most insane, right? Like you're saying at 50 K you're like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And two minutes later, you're like, I, would like to be doing anything else but this and I do not like mentally I'm not in a very good place so it's so it can right. be so polarizing right within our within ourselves um can be yeah Devin Yanko Devin Yank oh, go ahead go ahead well, I was gonna say Devin Yanko uses the phrase work the problem and you know the problem is going to present itself at some point and you don't know what it is um and mm -hmm. the fun is you know getting getting through it oh wow the universe always gives you what you provide, but I have been fantasizing about a rim to rim to rim for my birthday. So we'll have to chat another day on that. 
Yes, um, that's awesome. Because I'm so, also like terrified of dying in the Grand Canyon, <laughs> doing something stupid. Yeah, um, I must have talked about uh, blocking things out. I must have blocked out how, because <laughs> I had been there before. I'm terrified of heights. So I must have blocked out uh, any prior experience where, you know, you could see these thousand foot cliffs. There so, you go. That's your brain. So He's what, helping you out. It, Exactly. Um, so one of the things that I love that you've done with LRP was the breaking three last fall. Let's talk about that. What was what was that experience like? Yeah, so breaking three was actually in a so Mary and I started doing group tra- like group training programs probably two, maybe two falls ago. I would have to go back and fact check, but as a way to sort of allow more um, runners and athletes to sort of enter our LRP community, right? So when you do one-on-one coaching, you know, obviously we can only work with so many athletes and provide the quality of care and service that we do. And it's also cost prohibitive for some folks. So we were looking for a way to make it a little cheaper for her and I to sort of divide and conquer the work. And we're also the same person. So it's, like a very natural sort of pairing for us. You know, we can get in the group sort of email or a coaching account and, you know, converse with athletes and it's very seamless. Um, so we did a couple of group training programs for, we started off doing the full majors. So we had uh, New York, Chicago, Marine Corps, and then we did Boston the following year. And then actually we had another coach who came to LRP and her, uh, herself and Mary sort of spearheaded the sub three group in India last fall. And they did such a phenomenal job. I think they had, was it? I'd have to, I think it was like nine or 14, but an absurd percentage of these women broke three and performed so well. And it just ignited this massive sense of community. So even though there were, you know, approximately a dozen LRP athletes running, for weeks and weeks and weeks, the emails we were getting from our other athletes and people within the community, everyone was congratulating me as if I had just run like, congratulations to, you know, the LRP ladies and Mary and I were like, oh my gosh, like this is, you know, we need to sort of really bolster this team and community sort of feel because, you know, when it comes from the top, everyone is lifted, right? So we really saw, it was just such a, it, w- it just became sort of so clear to us that we still can create this really great community feel and sense in an online, in an online way. Um, you know, so we've always done meetups and things wherever we can, but now we're really working to sort of connect our athletes a little further. And, you know, since then my last year, I've sort of become much more focused on sort of rehabilitative movement and building community because. Uh, like my last year of recovery and rehab and getting hurt, the one constant was my LRP athletes. And they were such a lifeline when I thought that I had nothing left or that, you know, it wasn't, oh, this is getting deep. Um, You know, that things weren't worth doing or carrying on for, but like all my athletes were just so steadfast. And I think that's what made it so easy for me to sort of put my hopes and dreams running wise sort of on a, on a shelf or I don't even know where they are. They're somewhere, but it just seems like a very natural 
an easy thing to do. I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to do everything I can for my athletes because this community is so amazing. And if I don't put like my soul into it, like I haven't done anyone a service. Um, That's awesome. I could waffle about how amazing they are all day long. I mean, not waffle, but I mean, it's just, it's very cool. So, so yeah, so sub three was, oh my gosh, Siri keeps wanting to listen to our talk. Um, (laughs) So yeah, sub three was really, I feel like it was so much more, you know, just really sort of, sort of laid this foundation for our next sort of, you know, community building, um, which has definitely been, you know, sort of training or super helpful for this time in quarantine or isolation, because, you know, we're not connected in the same way that we have been previously. And most people or most of our athletes or most, you know, folks in their twenties, thirties, forties who are running, uh, started running later in life. Right. So first it was a social outlet. And so now we've taken away sort of the pillar of why people were running or sort of came to running. So we're trying to provide community, you know, in other ways if it's not in the face or in the flesh. Yeah. I love it. And, and I think it's a really interesting time and you, you referenced it before, like figuring out what to do in these times and why you do it. And I'm loving the the discourse that's going on, particularly on Instagram with professional runners having that same introspection, like, what am I doing? What am I bringing to the world? What am I, um, why am I, why am I running right now? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of these athletes are struggling with that question and then others are like reconnecting with why they started running and just running and maybe not even using their watch or maybe mm-hmm. not doing workouts and just um, as Shalane Flanagan put it, stuffing the silo with miles so that whenever we get back to racing um, or, or sharpening it from a training perspective, We'll be in a much different place. Oh my goodness! Mentally and physically, and then, yeah, and and the goals, the race goals, I think, will be like less um, important in a good way. Absolutely. I mean, I think it one come whenever you know we can race again. People are going to be like Shillings Point. The silos are going to be just chock a blocked. I, there was a good Kiwiism for you. Oh boy. I'll have to tell my mother I said that. Uh, Chaka blocked. Walk me through that one. Walk me through that one. Chaka blocked is like, I don't even, I guess maybe it sounds like an abbreviation for chocolate block, but Chaka block means it's just like so full, it's bursting. You're welcome. Nice. Um, (laughs) But I mean, everyone's silos are going to be, I may have to keep saying it now. Chaka blocked, right? With this. And as long as, you know, the, the training is done, you know, people aren't just crushing, you know, this high end speed or sort of tuning because there's no point in that right now. Right. It should be focusing on the, the fundamentals and building a really strong base. But I mean, we're going to see some crazy, but you know, our athletes we work with on, on the pro side, on, you know, people coming into ultra, you know, people on the ultra side that have probably been spending a lot more time on their feet. It's going to be really interesting. And two, I think people are going to be less sort of hung up on this race goal, right? Because they already had base, you know, a lot of their races already taken away from them. 
So now when we're, you know, training and building up again, the goals are kind of different. Like with my athletes right now, the goal is to, you know, our goals are, I mean, it depends on a case by case basis, but, you know, not necessarily time focused. It's to do these sorts of runs or feel this way or focus on mobility and strengthening because now you're not commuting two hours a day. So I know you have two hours a day. So don't give me that nonsense that you don't have time for it right now. And lo and behold, people are feeling pretty good who I do feel the worst, um, the bodies that have been worst impacted that I've seen with my, you know, a lot of my athletes and a lot of my friends are teachers. And I don't think any of us realized how active teaching is, especially in the like elementary and middle school age, right? These teachers are on their feet all day and now everyone's sort of sitting on zoom. So they're, you know, hips and glutes and low back are feeling a little creaky. Um, man, we are our quarantine brains are, are really good at following trains of thought right now. Um, <laughs> so the gist the- is here. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a lot of changes all around. So your background in um, in sort of how the brain works, um, are you? Do you? How do you bring that into your coaching? So by by training, oh my goodness, it's so it's so interesting, and I'm so thankful for my training, sort of in the scientific method, um, because it's really allowed me to be a really good source finder in terms of all of the, all of these quote unquote studies or information that's sort of put out into the universe. Um, because it is, it's hard to sort of decipher some of these articles and things that come out. And so in terms of, you know, sort of what your graduate training is, if it's, you know, scientifically based, it really doesn't matter if your training is in, um, you know, physics or kinesiology or cognitive neuroscience. I mean, you have specialties within the subject matter, but your ability to decipher like fact from non-fact or statistics that have been skewed um, or not particularly representative really gives me a good um, filter and a good way to sort of, you know, delve into the exercise physiology and kinesiology I guess, black hole of literature, because there is so much. And from a psychological standpoint, I actually did a, um, a clinical externship at the National Institute of Health when I was in my um, graduate program out in Virginia. So I've, you know, had a lot of work in a more clinical settings, um, interviewing techniques. So it really helps me work with my athletes when we're getting to the whys of things or sort of even, you know, putting on my little therapist hat, um, from time to time, just being like, this is, this is fine. You feel this way. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or you failed. It means you're human. Like we're all human, you know? Um, and I think just being able to sort of look at things from a scientific perspective really is super helpful. And I mean, I'm such a loser. It's so much fun. I love nothing more then I think it was maybe like two summers ago, like new guidelines were released on like postpartum running. And Mary and I was so excited. It was this like 60 page article and we were just like drooling over it. We're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. The research is so great. You know, 
some of my friends of PTs and we're all going back and forth. We're like, this is so great. You know what we, and the cool thing with science and, you know, it segues into coaching and training is we're always learning, right? What was right for the human body in the fifties through seventies, which is when a lot of the early sort of aerobic based, um, studies were coming out in terms of the body's response to training and adaptation. Like we live in a very different world to what we did or what people did in the, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So are those studies particularly relevant to human performance now from like a structural standpoint? Yes. But now we think about things like stress and load and cumulative fatigue and the lifestyles we live. So our life in 2020 is so different. I mean, God, our life in what month is it? April of 2020 is so different to April of 2019. Well, this right? April is five five times longer than 2019. <laughs> April. Oh my God. The, this April is. Oh wow. Have if you've ever wondered what it's like to live in a time warp? I mean, I said to someone the other day, I was like, you know, the great thing, like. Have you ever wondered what it's like to live in a time warp? Now we know. And she's like, you're a weirdo. Um, <laughs> I was like, but now we know what it feels like. Just in case you were curious. So <laughs> yeah. so what's what's keeping you even keeled and you know following the your your North Star in this in this time? Meditating. Um I am I guess I'm still probably pretty tightly strung, but after I had surgery last, um, goodness, when was that? I see I've done a good job of blocking this out. Um, I had surgery last June on my ankle and my sort of recovery was super rocky just in terms of, you know, I was having this like pretty major identity crisis. What am I going to do? I was anxious. I was depressed. and my actually my yoga teacher, she, and she's phenomenal too, and has become a dear friend. And she's a great teacher because she's always suggesting things. It's never sort of like force feeding, like you have to do this. This is the magic sauce. You need it. She sort of let me come to it on my own. And I would notice on the days that I would meditate, I would be much less anxious or I would have just good ideas or, you know, my overall, everything would just go better that day. And then being me, I was like, oh, let me experiment. Let me let me test and see what happens on the days I don't meditate. Well, spoiler, I'm <laughs> like a total wreck. And I but I wanted more and more data points. So I was like, oh, it just happened once. That's a coincidence. And then I started noticing before I made it a habit, some days I would forget and I'd get to lunchtime and be just like just kind of wound up or have this kind of higher baseline level of anxiety, or would find that stupid things would throw me off course. Um, so I really worked at making it a morning habit, right? I meditate before I make coffee in the morning and those two are mutually exclusive, right? Like I don't not make coffee in the morning. Ergo, I do not not meditate. <laughs> right. And it's been, well, I mean, I've drunk in the bowl of Kool-Aid and that's totally fine. It's been just a very amazing experience and it's hard to explain if you're not like in a regular practice, but it's just, it's so grounding and, you know, you can, you can sit for two minutes, you can sit for 20 minutes, just that time to sort of be 
just still, I think. Um, also looking at the mountains helps. I love <laughs> definitely. <at> the <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that tasty Boulder Kool-Aid you referenced in just a second, but I want to know what is, what does meditation look like for you? For me? Um, it, it really varies. I mean, even though I've been practicing fairly consistently, some days I really struggle just being still right. Or I'll get on the mat. I always like to sit on the ground, um, like on my seat bones, be upright, especially in the morning. I'm very big and my athletes and Mary will laugh if they're listening. I'm very big on intention, everything, you know, we don't do stuff for the sake of doing stuff. That's a waste of energy. Um, and I'm very, you know, I'm a cognitive miser. I'm very lazy with my resources for things that don't need my energy and emotion. Um, so the intent for me of meditating in the morning is to, you know, wake myself up. So why would I be laying down? To me, that makes no sense, right? If I lay down, my body is getting signals to calm down and go to sleep. And I'm trying to, you know, work in the opposite. So I will sit. Sometimes I listen to music. If I'm feeling particularly sort of like ungrounded or worried about things or can sense that I'm going to have trouble sitting and staying sitting without, you know, looking at my phone or going to get coffee or not like just letting things go. I'll do a guided meditation. I have the, um, I think it's like an annual, like an annual membership for headspace. They have some really great, um, guided meditations in there. And I've been doing a few of them recently that, you know, doing more specific things on, you know, dealing with, you know, being in quarantine or dealing with uncertainty and things like that. But often I'll just sit like in silence and just focus on my breath and just, just practice, you know, as thoughts come in, just letting them go and not fixating and being able just to have something sort of enter your consciousness and just say, and you're done, or this isn't your time. And truly being able to detach from it is such like such a liberating feeling. And I wish that everyone could experience that sort of that freedom of just like something coming in. And I'm sure like, you could probably think of an example of, you know, we all have these pervasive thoughts or things that pop in, but just for it to come in and similar to the marathon, right? When shit starts hitting the fan, like not now, another time, maybe. And just to kind of deflect it is as a really cool skill. Um, and like anything, it takes, it takes practice and it's never perfect, which is to me is sort of a forever learner of all sorts of things is a really appealing and attractive, um, notion. Very cool. Uh, let's circle back to the Boulder Kool-Aid. When did you move <laughs> out there? <laughs> oh, it's, it's good. Um, I, I know <laughs> not, not that I would know. I haven't been to Boulder in almost two months. Um, <laughs> we came out here. So Matt and I actually, we were planning on moving out here. It must've like late summer last, uh, last year. So if anyone is in the future, that was 20. So we moved out here in the summer of 2019. We were planning on coming out for, a number of reasons, but a, a large proponent obviously was my running and training and Matt loves it out here and was trying to, he was, he, he started the push West a long time before I did. 
and he was accepted into, he's doing his MBA right now. So we were planning on moving out. And then we found out that I'd actually ruptured my peroneal tendon and that it was so bad. There were no other options besides surgery. So we were kind of weighing the pros and cons of surgery in Virginia, starting rehab, then moving. And we ultimately made the decision for me to move out here early and have surgery and you know be in the hands of one of the best surgeons in the country. So I came out in early June and had surgery and actually stayed one of my, this is how incredible the people that we work with are. One of my athletes who is now one of my nearest and dearest friends, we were sort of conversing through all of this. And I said, well, you know, I, I may come out early. We've got to see if, you know, without lease and everything and without a second of hesitation, I think I'd met her once in person, like in real life before she was like, what's the soonest you can get out here? And I was like, well, the doctor, this is a Thursday. The doctor said he could see me on Monday. And she's like, pack your car, get your butt out here. Like you're coming to me. I'm going to look after you. Like we're going to get you fixed and healthy again. And in the moment I, you know, agreed to it. And then, you know, we got off the phone. I tell Matt, and then it sort of sinks in that I'm going to drive across the country by myself and have surgery and stay in a stranger's house. And her and her family are going to see me at my absolute worst for God knows how long. And so I call her back and I'm like, you know what? Actually, like, no, that was a stupid idea. I'm just going to wait the six weeks. She's like, that's the most preposterous thing I've ever heard. And she said, I know this is going to be hard. I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but you can do it. And I was just like, well, shit, here we are. <laughs> so I threw everything I could get into my car <laughs> and drove across the country. And heaven forbid, she, did, she saw me at my very worst. <laughs> and it was such a cool, I mean, I... I mean, I do not wish to have that surgery and recovery again, but that experience and that bonding was like phenomenal and will be forever. You know, we're forever connected because of that. Um, so yeah, we're coming up on our, coming up on our one year anniversary and I'm, you know, I wasn't able to get out on any of the trails because all of last summer I was completely not, I was non-weight bearing until September. Um, so the, I, we did get to go to a lot, I got to drink a lot of beer, um, which was probably gr- great for my recovery. Um, but just excited to get out and explore and play because this is, I mean, I, you, I don't have to tell you this. It's just such a beautiful and special place. Um, and we're just so thankful to be here. For sure. So um, what, what has the recovery journey looked like for you? <laughs> Do you have another hour? Um, I'll give you the synopsis, which was helped, which I think has been okay. And I think I'm perhaps overly resilient. Um, I think resiliency in humans is a good thing, but I think I have probably maybe adapted too well to things happening. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. Uh, so I had the repair done to my peroneal tendon last June. And unfortunately, once they got in there, the sort of the separation between the tendon, they were hoping that they could sort of reattach, reattach them together. 
Um, but they ended up having to reattach just one end uh, to its neighboring branch. And so the top of the tendon actually is just sort of hanging out in the top of my foot. Um, so the, the return to run was always a little, we weren't quite sure what that was going to look like, but I obviously still had very high hopes and dreams and ambitions um, for, you know, running quickly and qualifying for teams. And so the rehab was, I was in a plaster cast for about 10 weeks. And then we switched to a boot. And then, you know, I think in about four months, we were actually able to start, like my ankle was completely immobile that whole time because your peroneal tendons, one job is to stabilize your foot. Um, so we had to make sure that, you know, the sutures and everything could healed and, the problem with dealing something, uh, dealing with something that's a, a stabilizing muscle or versus something that's strictly anterior posterior is it's very hard to load. So if you're rehabbing an Achilles tendon, you can load that much easier. The only way to load the peroneal tendon is to evert and invert your foot, um, which doesn't feel particularly good. Um, still doesn't feel particularly good. And I don't know if it ever will. Um, so I was in this weird contorted, so it was my left ankle. So I was basically single leg RDLing on my right side for a very, very long time. And my right side got so strong that when I eventually started to run again, um, you know, I developed so many compensatory sort of mechanisms that my right side was just way too strong. And eventually, or not, it happened quite quickly, surprisingly, I broke my sacrum um, and just to the right side of midline. And, you know, we're further tested and we've seen that there are some pretty not ideal things going on with my feet. Um, so again, we unloaded because, you know, I had a broken bone. So another eight weeks, non-weight bearing. So now we're trying to come back with my ankle, which needed load to improve that it didn't get for an additional six to eight weeks, plus a hip injury on the other side. Um, so really my rehab has just been trying to get strong and building from the bottom up. So, you know, each day I'm doing, you know, footwork and just tons of little intrinsic things. Um, and I've been using a MOBA board um, because my problem was that my big my big toe, my first metatarsal is so immobile that my big toes were actually never making contact with the ground. So all of my weight was being distributed in my second through fifth metatarsals, which were not designed to bear the brunt of your whole body times two to three times in motion. So it's become apparent that that's something that I cannot, or, you know, can no longer, um, push off or pretend doesn't exist. Um, because even, you know, running, I think I was running like 30 miles a week when my hip went, um, you know, I'm not, you know, to be able to go back if I ever want to. And I, you know, I don't really know what my running looks like moving forward. And I think the nice thing is with all of this happening, I was becoming so connected with my athletes in our community. I really didn't grieve the loss of my own running. 
which is kind of cool and kind of as a, as I guess, as a competitive athlete, it kind of makes me question how competitive was I really? Because I'm like, oh, I don't really care about my own running, right? I'm one person, but if I could give myself and help many, many more, that just makes sense to me. So that was sort of further validation that I'm on the right path for me. That's awesome. Um, what are the next couple of years look like for you? The next, uh, let's do the first couple, next couple of days, right? Um, <laughs> or, oh, you're meaning years. So between now and the end of April, got it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> goodness. Um, I mean, hopefully just a lot of really awesome outside adventures, you know, further connecting uh, lift run perform athletes with, you know, the wider running community. Uh, I'm hoping to do, you know, more stuff in person because that really, or, you know, even just like, you know, on the phone, I mean, that fills my soul up like nothing else. Like there is nothing for me that sort of connecting with my athletes is very similar to that finish line joy or euphoria. I like once I meet up with my athletes or have a really good conversation with them, I'm just left buzzing for so long. Um, so I know that that's something that I'm really, really drawn to. Um, I have recently become certified in Pilates, um, and rehabilitative movement and yeah, just really trying to provide more of like a full, full, full service, I guess, or like more holistic and balanced approach to training because, you know, obviously we want our athletes to run fast in PR, but again, like circling back to the beginning, I think when you take a step back and balance your whole life, running is very easy. I mean, running is freaking hopping, right? Yeah. Like we get in our head so much and we make it so complicated. So my goal is to just, you know, help my friends and athletes and others, you know, just within the the community to realize that it can be this really beautiful, balanced thing and you still can perform very, very well. And sort of just equipping people with the tools to sort of come to that on their own, right? Because you're not going to have, you know, a running coach forever, you know, you're going to be running for the next 30 years of your life, right? You can't be paying someone forever. I mean, maybe you can, um, let me know where that money tree is, Yeah. but, but, you know, the goal is to make, you know, to make independent, you know, strong-minded, intelligible, you know, runners and athletes and humans so that we can just stay healthy and, you know, just operate at, you know, an optimum level, because that's when, you know, that's when good things happen. It's when we feel good, we're better people, you know, spouses, parents, coworkers, um, just, just humans. Right. And that's, that's important. I love it. What do you wish people knew about you? Oh, well, now they know that I say weird things like chock-a-block. Um, <laughs> wish they knew about me. Oh, I'm trying to think of, well, I do have something exciting that I haven't shared with anyone. 
that I share on the podcast. Um, so an exclusive. Of, this is an exclusive. This is, <laughs> this is for a poor the long run exclusive. Um, <laughs> Breaking news. You heard it here first. So we Literally. lost our our dear Gracie, our Rhodesian Ridgeback. Um, that'd be four four weeks ago on Friday, and I had actually been talking to a breeder um, for over a year now out here in Denver, coincidentally. And in two weeks from today, our new little baby dog, dog, in case anyone just like cut out for a little second, our little <laughs> Rhodesian Ridgeback. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I keep wanting to post something be like, our family's growing. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be, it could be, you know, I'm not sure how it would be received. And being me, I'm like, oh, I would like to get a rise out of a few people. Um, but yeah, so we will be getting a little puppy. So that makes me just so excited for the summer because I'm going to have a little trail bud. That's awesome. And yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. Where can we find you if we want to follow along on social media? Uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram. My handle is run.kiwi. And then um, we're also at Lift Run Perform. And then my sort of uh, movement, movement-y sort of things is um, at peak movement collab. And I don't do Twitter. That's another thing that you can know about me. It's just, it's too much noise. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. And uh, hope to see you in Colorado soon. Oh, please do. With Come a dog. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. You'll be all over it. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.